forgotten condoms can break. Some women want to conceive in the near future, some never again. So for lots of different reasons, for lots of different people, there are lots of different contraceptive options. But do we know enough about these options and do we talk confidently enough about what we need? Bayer, with a strong heritage in contraception and female health, are on a mission to help educate us all find the right option to fit our lives. With the relaunch of MyContraception.ie, a dedicated website full of everything we need to know. I'm Sinead Moore from Everymum, and in this five-part series supported by Bayer, I talk to four sensational GPs to better understand our bodies, our reproductive health, and the range of contraceptive options available in Ireland. Plus, specific episodes all about the right options if you've just had a baby or if you know your family is complete. The opinions shared in this podcast are those of the individual healthcare professionals and are intended as general information only and not intended to replace a consultation with a healthcare professional. Nor is it intended to provide specific medical advice. So always speak to your doctor or nurse for personal advice about you and your needs. So far, we have learned about our bodies, our fertility and our hormonal health. And here we are back with Dr. Deirdre Lundy, a GP with over 30 years specialising in women's health, who we last spoke to in episode one to delve deeper into each type of contraceptive option. It's not all condoms and pills, you know. From patches, rings, bars and coils to vasectomies and diaphragms, the modern day options are incredible and have a range of purposes apart from just preventing pregnancy. So to find the right option, let's first get to know what each one does. Dr. Deirdre Lundy, we learned so much in episode one about our cycles, the many benefits of the right contraceptive solution and the value of having that all important healthcare provider conversation. Here we are going to go through the various forms of contraceptions for, for women and for couples so that they can start considering maybe which one is right for them. So to begin at a very basic level, there are hormonal and there are non-hormonal methods of contraception. And there are long acting and there are short acting methods of contraception. Are they the kind of the general, the four criteria? In general, yeah. You know, there's no one... It's hard to categorize contraception because all the different contraceptives have different aspects. So some you have to take a medicine every day or every week or every month. Others you have them fitted and you don't think about them for years at a time. Some have hormones in them, some don't. And there's a lot of crossover. So it's kind of hard to, it's actually hard to categorize or put, put contraception into compartments. Um, but in general, we break them down into things where the woman has to do something where the man has to do something versus the fit and forget, as they call them, or that the doctor just puts in a device or places a device or gives you an injection and then you can just forget about it for months or years at a time. So the number one one that we all know is just a, is the basic condom, which is the barrier of sperm hitting egg. So but as we talked about in episode one, that is not foolproof. No. So no hormones and good protection against certain diseases. Um, the more fragile germs, the germs that don't like heat and air, things like chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV, they'll be, for the most part, prevented by correct and consistent condom use. Other germs that are more robust and don't really care so much about air and temperature, things like um, herpes and warts virus, they don't always give full protection condoms. Um, 
any kind of genital contact can transmit those diseases. So, so condoms for the most part are good at most disease prevention if you use them every time and correctly, and they're pretty good for contraception. So the younger you are, the more likely they are to let you down. So with an average age of a woman in her 20s or 30s who's actually competent and has used condoms for many years, they're very reliable. But for young new users, we're seeing about 20 pregnancies per 100 couples per year. So that's 20 people pregnant. That's what they were safe. Yeah, that's too high. It's too high. It is too high. And there are female barrier products as well, which are less used. They are, but they are not as popular. So there's a product where you can buy it in the pharmacy. And it's the same material as what a condom is made of, only it's much larger larger, and it has an inner ring and an outer ring. And the lady is supposed to slip the inner ring into her vagina all the, all the way as deep as it'll go. And then she holds the outer part of the bag um, outside of her vulva and she holds it there and her partner basically inserts his penis into the bag. A diaphragm is a different thing. A oh, diaphragm okay. is a little ca- it's a little plastic. Um, usually they're made of silicone. They used to be made of latex, but too many people are allergic, so now they're made of silicone. And uh, it's a little kind of... Um, like a saucer, a small saucer-shaped piece of silicone that's um, flexible and you stuff it lengthwise up into your vagina and it has a spring around the outside of it and when it gets into the vagina, it springs open and it covers the roof of the vagina, which includes your cervix. So sperm, how sperm get to your eggs is you have sex, sperm get deposited into the back cul-de-sac of your vagina and then there's a sort of a suction activity at the cervix, at the opening of the womb, that draws the semen and the sperm inside. If you block that sucky vacuum cervix by putting a bit of latex in, in, in front of it or a bit of silicone in front of it, the sperms can't get up. So that's the female um, kind of barrier uh, diaphragm. Which when we asked the Everymum community, mm. um, only 0.6% of women yeah. have used it. I wonder if that's, it's actually quite a good, reliable mm. contraceptive Kind of like a condom, though, failures are more common with those products than they are with some of the other ones. It takes an awful lot of um, commitment, though, because, you know, you need to anticipate having sex and get the thing in you beforehand. Although, unlike a condom, you don't have to wait for your partner to become erect to apply it. Like, you can pop your diaphragm in and go to work in the morning. And then if, you, if you're if okay. you going to have sex, you, it's there. So it's much more convenient. And nowadays... They make a one-size-fits-all product. You can find information online about that. So you don't even have to go to a doctor and get measured and sized and fitted for a diaphragm the way you did yours. Oh, it's so embarrassing. And we don't like it either, to be honest with you, you know, Mm. because everybody's a different... The length of your vagina will decide the size of your diaphragm generally, and some people are very shallow and some people are quite deep. And it's a messy palaver to figure out what size diaphragm Mm. a lady needs, whereas most women can... um, get by with this one size fits all diaphragm because it has a little bump like a nubbin at the front of it that anchors it to the roof of the vagina regardless of how long your vagina is so you know you still could do with a little bit of experienced coaching <laughs> on how to, <laughs> on how to yeah, put it in implement. and make sure it's in the right place and a lot of women are not that au fait with their own yeah. internal anatomy that it would be nice to kind of have a helping hand if you can find a friendly nurse or doctor to take you through it. But um, very popular in, in America and Canada, but uh, diaphragms for women are not... Not that. so much here. But like it's like a lot of vagina stuff here. Tampons, like we don't use hardly any tampons compared to other societies, you know. Don't think Irish women love putting stuff inside, but 
that's sad because you should be familiar with that place, you know. Well, I think that goes down to, again, what we talked about in episode one about just you know, in childhood and in teens and being thought about our bodies, not in a shameful way in a, it's just a part of your body way and you need to understand it and love it just as much as you do the rest. I know. I said that to a girl the other day. I said, well, have you explored your vagina? Are you familiar with your vagina? She looked at me. She was horrified. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just not yet. uh, I I think it's getting better. I think it's getting better. Um, So they're the main barrier products, I suppose, when it comes to... So male condom... Very odd looking female condom, mm. which hardly anybody uses, and diaphragms, which in certain societies are extremely popular, mm. um, but not as asked for in Ireland. And you don't need a doctor's advice about those lady, the diaphragm for women. You can just go online and get information about that. The second most frequently used is the combined oral contraceptive pill, yeah. which is the estrogen and the progesterone. Yeah. So contraceptive hormones all contain progestogen. Every contraceptive product that has a hormone in it will always have progestogen, but some of them also have estrogen. And when they have the two hormones together, they're known as the combined hormonal products. And they would include all the different types of pill that are you know, in the chemist's pharmacy. Um, they also make a combined hormonal contraceptive in the form of a patch, and they make a estrogen-progestogen combined hormone in the form of a ring. Again, not that popular in Ireland. It goes inside of the vagina, but it's a fantastic delivery system for reproductive hormone because it's so handy. You just pop it inside and forget about it for three weeks. So we see here in terms of the patch that three and a half percent of women have used it. So it's the same product, but mm-hmm. it's con- it's absorbed by the skin as yeah. opposed to taking it orally. Yeah. So one of the biggest downsides of using the pill is that you have to remember to do something yeah. every single day. And that, you know, like if I, I've never had an antibiotic prescription for myself that I didn't forget at least one of them, you know, and like generally you're not supposed to, but it doesn't do that much harm. But with a contraceptive, depending on which pill you forget could make yeah. or break you, you know. We're busy people. Yes. But even in terms of tummy upset and things as yeah. well. Yeah. You Some know, people if don't absorb women with celiacs, irritable bowel, um, God love them, people with bulimia, bulimia mm-hmm. you know, um, eating disorder. Sometimes oral products are not the ideal way to put stuff inside of them. So a patch, you can deliver combined estrogen and progesterone contraception through a patch or this intravaginal ring. Yeah. And then there is a micro pill, which that's a, there, okay, that's a word. This is really important to talk about. So in the old days, the pill that had the two hormones in it, estrogen and progestogen, was always known as the pill. Mm. And the pill that only had progestogen in it and no estrogen was always known as the mini pill. Mini was the word. Which was a kind of a stupid name because it sounds like it's gentler or lighter or Mm. whatever. And it's really, we call it the progestogen only pill. Mm -hmm. We call it the POP, progestogen only pill. Um, but a lot of people describe it as the mini pill, meaning it has only one hormone, not both. Micro but it does is sound, a, it yeah. does sound like it's 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 a lesser form, yeah. or it's lighter for you. Do you know it, or it, it it really isn't like statistically when used absolutely perfectly, it should be pretty darn effective. But because we know no human is perfect, and because it's inevitable that you'll eventually make an error just being a human being, um, the risk with making an error and finding yourself pregnant is much higher with the mini pill 
than it is with other forms of contraception. So like if I met a young girl and she was starting her sexual life and she really wanted to avoid pregnancy, I don't think the mini pill would be my first recommendation for her unless there was reasons she had mm. had to confine herself to that. Whereas with the combined pill, the handy thing about them is they really shut down ovulation way more profoundly um, in, an, in every cycle if you use them correctly. And there's a lot of wiggle room, like with the combined pill, each tablet works for 36 hours. So if you take it on Monday in the morning, you don't have to take it on Tuesday in the morning. You can take it later on in the day. It's not like, oh my God, I... Now, at this exact moment, yeah. I'm one has run out and yeah. one hasn't been absorbed. None of those pills work like that anymore. In the old days, there were okay. contraceptive pills that were really time sensitive. Those have all, for the most part, gone off the market. I can so, see why. Yeah, because it was nonsense, <laughs> you know. I used to, all my ladies back in the 80s, 90s, they used to take them when the Angelus came on um, <gasps> to help remember. They'd have them in the kitchen. Oh, you know? hilarious. Which is so funny. But anyways, that was another. Trusting that's your another, by the Angelus. I know, to remind me to take my <laughs> contraceptive pill, which I'm not supposed to be taking. But anyway, anyway. But um, nowadays, all oral hormone, whether it be the mini pill, the non-estrogen pill that just has progestogen in it, or the combined pill that has estrogen and progestogen in it, you should take them every day, but the timing is not critical. The problem is, if you get lazy about anything, eventually rot will set in, and many women will look back over the course of a month at their package of contraceptive pill, and there'll be a selection of leftovers. Yeah, and that's definitely a sign you want to talk to the doctor about a different form of contraception. And getting something. So what? So when the patch is applied, how yeah. long does that last? So pills generally are taken on a daily basis, where patches only have to be changed weekly. So it just reduces the amount of involvement for busy women. And women. how large is the patch? They're about the size of... Um, they're about a centimeter and a half, two centimeters okay. square. Of all the combined hormone products, the ring's handy in that you put it in and then you you can have a period if you're going to get a period. You can, you know, use a tampon if you're going to use a tampon. You can have sex. That ring doesn't move. It stays in there. It's so imperceptible that um, I most partners are aware of it when mm. they're having penetrative sex with a lady that wears a ring, but they're not bothered by it, and it, mm. you know it's not interruptive in any way. I love the sensation ring. Sensation, no, or anything like that. I really love that ring. I do. And then, the but who has to apply it every three weeks? So can you? She puts it in herself. You can change oh, yeah, it like yourself. A you don't have to go back to not your strong. care provider. No, no, just like a tampon. You stick it in, but now it's inert, so it doesn't get germs on it the way a tampon. You couldn't leave that in for three weeks. Absolutely not. No. Go rotten on you. But but this thing is inert plastic, so it doesn't get um smelly or icky or anything so you leave it in for three weeks now the ring and the patch and all the different pills and the pills by the way come in lots of different strengths and lots of different variations of hormones so there's usually a pill combination out there that will suit most girls but it or women but it does take a while sometimes to try and try find the one Mm -hmm. for you yeah and Um, how might you know that the one you're on isn't helping you or isn't the right level or volume you know it's very nuanced everybody's an individual but in general estrogen related side effects of the pill would include things like a soreness in the breasts feeling nausea i almost like pregnancy because pregnancy, that's mm-hmm. the thing so it's a high mm-hmm. higher rate of yep of estrogen in fact a lot those. of people they feel like they're a little bit pregnant when they go on the pill and that's no surprise um, a headache, worrying. 
headache can be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Headache can be, but they're usually short-lived okay. problems. And that as your body kind of embraces, oh, we're, we're going to do normal. this now. Yeah. Then it goes away. And if they persist beyond, say, six weeks, eight weeks, or if they're really, really bad at any stage, you need to change your brand. You need to change your brand. That's just it. The progestogen side effects are more PMT, PMSy. So feeling a bit bloated, um, you know, finding tight clothes a little bit more uncomfortable. Uh, that narky irritability that goes with PMS sometimes mm. um, can happen when you go on, for some girls when they go on the pill. And there's about nine, eight or nine different progestogen styles that are in all the different pills in the book. So usually if you get a progestogen side effect from one pill, we might be able to fix it by changing you to another form of pill so like it is an art it really is to get the right pill for the right girl which would make sense because you as a woman have a completely unique ratio of those hormones going mm -hmm. on at your base level so it's really important to discover what product yeah. has the appropriate levels for you a, a big talking point for young women particularly is skin there yes. are forms of contraceptive pill where the, so they have a lot of male hormone properties and they can make acne worse where there are other pills that have been manufactured from hormones that represent or that are derived from other sources that actually make acne better. So it's important that the GP or the nurse who's advising you on your pill choices knows what you need and what you're trying to avoid. Or So tell me then, so that takes us up to the three-week mark yeah. in terms of the longest acting, which is the ring. Yeah. And they're so, all, sh we would consider them short acting products because you're doing something either on a daily, a weekly or a monthly basis, you mm -hmm. know, um, the next kind of intermediate level of intervent, you know, intervention would be the injection. So that hormone progestogen uh, of which there are nine, eight or nine varieties that, that we can blend into contraception also comes on, on its own in a standalone injectable product that goes either into the muscle of the arm or the backside and it shuts down ovulation just as effectively as the pill does or the patch or the ring, but it only involves going to the doctor for an injection every 12 weeks. Um, so some women like the idea of, and it's almost, I mean, it is almost foolproof. I don't think I've ever had a genuine pregnancy on the injection. Once or twice, somebody told me they weren't pregnant and I gave them the injection and they were pregnant. So that might be listed as a failure, but it wasn't a failure of mm, the injection. Mm, it was just mm. miscommunication on our part. So the injection is one of the most foolproof ways of avoiding pregnancy, um, but it's time consuming it insofar as you have to see a doctor every 12 weeks. Like that's expensive if you don't have a medical card. Love the reliability of it. Like say someone comes to me and says, you know, I've just had a, a bad miscarriage or I've determination and I really I cannot deal I just I am not in a position to take a break. I need to have a guarantee and a breathing space the injection is fantastic they used to sometimes give it to moms leaving the hospital who were like yearly visitors there you oh, know they're wow. like please don't come back this year take, <laughs> a break. take a break yeah and they give them an injection of that product to give them at least 12 weeks of yeah, a... Yeah, it's a little like an added security. Because yeah. you can get pregnant three weeks after giving birth and yeah. people think you can't, they think they'll be like some kind of, you know, your womb will be so stunned by the recent activity, but that's not the case. In fact, if anything, I think you tend to get a surge in fertility after childbirth. Which is why we have a dedicated episode on that mm. um, with Dr. Emma um, on episode oh, four. Oh yeah, that'll be brilliant. And yeah. it's... It, yeah, it's all about that. Just figuring out yeah. what's going on hormonally with you exactly. in postpartum because it's a really important time where your hormones are rebalancing. Yeah. 
So the longer form then, so there's, there's, that's your three month mark. Are there anything further than that that yeah. is longer term? We would consider the three month um, injectable contraceptive that shuts down ovulation as a, as a longer acting reversible lark, lark, they call it. So longer acting, but fully reversible contraception, as opposed to say getting your tubes tied, which is very long acting, but a little bit of a commitment, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, and they would include things like the three month injection, the three-year implant, the little bar that goes into the back of your arm, and then the variety of different intrauterine contraceptive devices that we have access to. And we have access in Ireland to loads of them, but not every lady, and, and certainly GPs don't always know all the different styles of intrauterine contraceptive. So is it important to visit a clinic that is specifically clued in on these so that you can be advised on which long acting is well, really best for you. You know, there are a lot of general practices that are dedicated to good quality women's health and they'd be a wonderful source of information for all of this stuff. So not to take anything away from them, but if you're not 100% sure where to go without question, a women's clinic like a well woman center or a family planning clinic of some kind would be a great first stop, one stop shop for all the up-to-date advice. And then you can bring what you've learned back to your family doctor. Mm, That's a good mm, idea. Mm. You know, the bar particularly is very popular among young girls because it gives three years. And again, it's virtually foolproof. They did a survey years ago, statistically of all the contraceptives that people were using who got pregnant by accident. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause it's very hard to look in the feet. It's very hard to study contraception because it's how a, will it work? Yeah, because yeah. like not everyone's even fertile who's using con, you know, it's sure. complicated. You so they look backwards and say what didn't work. Exactly. So but when you look back and you see what didn't work, the one that works the best of all in the whole world is this bar. It's actually more reliable than having your tubes tied. Bizarrely. Wow. And yet And what's it doing? It's just releasing it's those hormones. Blocking ovulation with progestogen hormone, kind of like the way the injection does, but the injectable hormone has a different molecule in it. Okay. The molecule that's in the bar is called etonergestrel. It's a form of progestogen which profoundly shuts down egg release, but it doesn't interfere with any other ovary activity. So you make your own estrogen, you still have normal bones, normal health but you just don't let eggs mature. It blocks the lute. Remember we mentioned luteinizing yeah. hormone? It blocks luteinizing hormone. Okay. So if without luteinizing hormone, your eggs are not going to pop. Yes. You're not going to release That's what you egg. need in that mm -hmm. surge. Yeah. So this thing, this bar is amazingly effective at shutting down luteinizing hormone. So you don't ovulate, which means you can't get pregnant. Fully reversible. So within days of taking it out, you are back to whatever original fertility you had when the sad news is for some ladies, they didn't have great fertility to begin with. So some women will struggle to conceive, but it's got nothing to do with the product. The only drawback with it is it does have to go in your skin, like under your mm. skin. So if you're needle phobic, you'd want to have a gin and tonic before you came in, you know, <laughs> or something. Um, so that's a drag for a lot of people, but it's really pain-free insofar as we would always give you local anesthetic, mm -hmm. you know, like the dentist, you know, yeah. it's vile to think about. Once it's done, you it's don't really... It's a little really, procedure, and yeah. it's every three years. And it takes seconds. It takes like less than a minute to get it put in. And is that a good option for women who have decided, you know what, my family is also done? Yeah, it's actually good for every age group. Yeah, there's, look, there's drawbacks with everything. Of course. Like the estrogen that's in the pill and the patch and the ring can promote the development of blood clots for women who are genetically susceptible to blood clots. So ladies who come from a strong line of men and women who get 
thrombosis in the veins and the lungs and the heart, you got to be careful if you're going to play with the pill or the patch of the ring. And, and that's why prescribers like me know to ask the right questions to make sure you're not at risk. So there is another form of contraception, which is called the intrauterine contraception. What are they? Yeah, that's a really good question. So probably the earliest form of any artificial contraception was the discovery that when you put stuff inside the womb, the womb became a less favorable environment for pregnancy and contraception would often take place. So putting products, foreign bodies, inside the uterus is the whole premise of intrauterine contraception. There are also some forms of intrauterine contraception that have amazing benefit to women who suffer heavy, painful periods. Talk to me about what's involved in terms of the procedure around okay. one of so those. So your womb is a small, tight ball of muscle about the size of your fist, and then it has a little sort of a skinny bit underneath it, uh, below it, between, say, the opening of your vagina and the meat of your womb. That's your cervix. Okay. So in order to get an intrauterine device inside of you, you need to get up on the couch. We need to put in one of those speculums, you know, those little plastic things that open the vagina walls, let us for see a the smear, cervix. For instance. Exactly the same product. Mm -hmm. But instead of just scraping away a little bit of mucus and cell from the opening of the cervix, which is what a smear is, we're now going to gently probe the actual inner workings of the womb. We're going to go through the cervix up into the womb and right to the tippy top. The cul de sac at the end of the womb is known as the fundus. And that's where intrauterine products are supposed to sit. They're all ideally supposed to be right up against the fundus or as deep into the womb as is humanly possible. Um, so putting them in is a real skill. You know, every GP does not offer this. There are women whose, you know, whose bodies are made for intrauterine devices. The thing flies in virtually you know, you always feel it go in. We won't mess around. It, yeah. it does hurt. But it hurts like period, bad period cramp hurt. Okay. Not like, oh my God, I'm going to die hurt. You know, and how long might that last? Oh, se a second, oh, two okay. seconds. And then after another 10 seconds or so, it's definitely almost completely gone. And then the, the following, that evening or maybe the following day, you'd get period type cramps on mm -hmm. and off as that tight muscle is kind of gets used to this new object. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. Women who've had kids, particularly if they've given birth vaginally, not always, but usually have an easier time of it because that muscle has been stretched up enormously. So there's more give and the doorway is more easy to, to slide open. We run clinics in Hollis Street and the Coombe and the Rotunda where specialty GPs put in coils. Um, and you can ask your GP to be referred there. That's that's free of charge. It's essential to know that. That is amazing. So what are the other main benefits then of having this intrauterine yeah. form? Yeah. So the two broad categories of intrauterine contraception are the ones that have hormones on them and the ones that don't. So we always talk about them separately, although mm -hmm. as a group, they're all pretty good at protecting. They're certainly better than condoms or the pill. And because most of them last three years, five years, in some cases, 10 years, they're nice, long, mm -hmm. like, you can change your mind and have it removed in a year or two. But if you don't, if you decide, you know what, I don't think I'll go again, or I'm not ready for a pregnancy, that's five, 10 years that you don't have to think about it. So within the um, category of hormone bearing devices, there's really only three that are typically used in Ireland, although there are other styles in other countries. That's important to mention. So there's the very large one. There's a big one that has a strong payload of hormone on it. 
that lasts for five years. And that's the one we use for disruptive periods. So it has this hormone, progestogen hormone called levonorgestrel. And that stuff really thins away the lining of the womb so that if you have rotten, painful, heavy, torrential flow, flooding, you know, feeling weak and tired, missing days off of work or college or whatever, that's the coil for you. It may not turn your periods off altogether if they're rotten to begin with, but it'll make it much more live manageable. Yeah. Um, if your periods are already normal, you can still get one of them. They'll pro they'll, those women will probably have no periods at all because their relatively thinner womb lining will be shut down so profoundly that they just won't get a monthly bleed, which as we know is healthy. Absolutely. Because nothing evil is coop, scooping up inside of you waiting to come out when you least expect it. So that's a positive thing, yeah. you know? And then there are women who, like, say they have infectious diseases like HIV. They don't want to be bleeding. They'd like to bleed as little as possible. Thank you very much. Sure. So a product like that that shuts off, uh, you know, vaginal loss, bleed loss, blood loss is a really good product for their lifestyle, you know? So there's loads of reasons why we would use that strong five-year yeah. um, larger hormone coil. But what a lot of people don't always know is they have, a, that coil has a little sister. Okay. So for a younger woman whose periods are not wicked, whose womb might be a little smaller, and the door to the womb might be a little bit tighter, say she's not had kids or she's had that let's job or whatever, then they make a, it's still five years contraception, but it's just not as powerful. It's a smaller frame and it has a teeny little tube that we put it in with, so more comfortable to wear uh, or to have inserted. And it doesn't have as, as profound an effect on bleed loss, but it still helps a little bit. So I tend to reuse that. I recommend that re a lot nowadays because a lot of girls love the idea of something that they fit and forget for five years. They love something that didn't make their period any worse. Thank you very much. But maybe their period wasn't so bad to begin with that they needed it to be shut down entirely. So even though they're hormonal products, the impact of the hormone on the blood and the system, and the brain and the mood and weight and acne is much, much kinder because they work predominantly within the womb itself. So ladies who've had hormone sensitivities to say the pill or the mini pill or the bar or the injection usually do much better with one of these hormone bearing intrauterine devices, one of these hormone coils, because most of the hormone is trapped within the womb cavity and, and doesn't escape into the blood. GPs are encouraged to use coils in, um, there anybody over 18 can certainly consider it. And a lot of women, like young women with period issues will go for one much younger than 18. I, I've put intrauterine devices into 16 and 17 year olds. Copper's different. So those are the three, there's three sizes and styles of hormone coils. And they're all excellent for contraception. There are a few drawbacks with them. They're covered by the GMS. So if you have a medical card, they're free. But if you don't, you have to buy them and they're not cheap. They cost, uh, with the drugs payment system, I think they cost around 120 odd euro. Now, for five but years. But that once for five years. Yeah, yeah, and now you have to pay, if you don't go to one of the free hospital clinics, you're gonna have to pay your GP or gynecologist to put it in for you. Going back to the pill, there are brands of pills that are so cheap. They're like two euros 50 for three packages. And then there are brands of pill that are 12 euros each package. Like it's, the range is unbelievable. And if your GP is not familiar with which brand costs how much money, you can get a terrible shock and be embarrassed when you roll up to the pharmacy looking for your, 
supply. So it's always worth mentioning cost efficiency with your doctor or nurse before you make a decision because, you know, it's a big issue. If you think you're going to be more than likely using a form of contraception outside of just those windows where you definitely want to conceive... That's a lot of years. It's a lot of years. You're looking at 10 years, 20 years in some cases where you're sexually active, you're using contraception, but you're trying to avoid pregnancy. Like it should be free, obviously, like it is in the UK, but it's better here than it is in America. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know. I I mean, obviously in an ideal world, all healthcare would be universal. No one would have to consider cost when it came to good healthcare decisions, but that's not our world it's currently. Not the world we're in. No. But uh, hopefully the more that we educate and empower women, that's something that we can start asking for. Yeah. I, I start want, demanding. I need to know what's my what's my initial layout going to be and, yeah. and what's it going to be like over over on an average women will spend between 100 to 150 euros a year on not just contraception but things like sanitary towels and you know like cycle related fertility related products like and there's VAT on a lot of that stuff too, which is a little bit unfair. But, you know, so there's a lot of money involved in being female, basically. There certainly is, even in terms of the, the cost of sanitary wear when it comes yeah. to being a female. Yeah. That, should, that should also be free. Absolutely, it should absolutely be free. Yeah. yeah. And the, the limitations that it places on women who can't afford it mm. and the, you know, the mission of, of supporting that period poverty uh, I think is only beginning to resonate with women and is something that we absolutely support. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good idea. Well, going back to the hormone coil. So, so you know, there is a school of thought that if you haven't seasoned the womb with a baby, you shouldn't go tinkering around in there with contraceptive coils. And that is absolutely not the case. Um, there are people whose bodies are just not made for coils. Either the womb is very tiny or it's all wombs, have a sort of a curvature mm-hmm. to them and some are so curved I can't get around the corner basically. So it's not going to be a comfortable fit for them. But everyone's uh, is entitled to a go, you know, a trial yeah. of an intrauterine device. Um the hormone coils, particularly the large one have a lot of non-contraceptive benefits. So we use that one as an alternative to sending someone to the gynecologist for a hysterectomy who's just got gruesome periods that are limiting their their quality of life and undermining their health and so those come into their own in those cases we also use the larger hormone coils uh, in other situations so they're contraceptive they're really good for bleed control but we also often use them as a component in hrt so when you put a middle-aged lady with menopausal symptoms on hormone estrogen hormone usually her symptoms are really well controlled but you need to protect the lining of the womb from this extra payload of estrogen. And the, one of the nicest ways to do that is with um, the five-year strong hormone coil. And he, loads of older ladies, ladies in their 40s and 50s, would use those devices for that reason, you know. With regard to the non-hormone coils, they were the original intrauterine device. Like we were saying about, you know, sheiks putting stuff into camels and things. If you put a foreign body into the womb, it causes what they call a foreign body effect. It attracts white blood cells. It changes the hormone environment of the womb and makes it less receptive to pregnancy. On top of that, if you add a little mineral alloy like copper or tin or gold, those molecules are spermotoxic and ovotoxic, meaning they kill sperm on contact. They the egg blows up when the copper is around. Not the eggs in your ovaries, mm-hmm. just the one in your 
tube. So just okay. the one in your womb, okay? The one that has been yeah. released yeah. and is available for, yeah. so for fertilization. They block fertilization and they also change up the environment of the womb so that if God forbid there was a fertilization you didn't want to have happen, there's nowhere for it to grab on and grow. So as contraceptives go, the non-hormone coils, and there's oh God, there could be 10 different ones you can get your hands mm. on in Ireland and many more worldwide are just as effective than any other form of intrauterine contraception, but they're not as they're not as well marketed and they're not discussed as much. Most coils in Europe and North America would have strings on them okay. so that when, not strings made of string now, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, plastic mm-hmm. filaments so but that something when- Something a health, prefer- health yeah, professional can use. So, so that when I look at your cervix, I say, oh, there's your strings. So your cop- your coil or hormone mm. coil, your copper coil is still on board. Um, and then also when it's time to remove it and replace it, I can just gently ease it out with the filaments so, rather than have to go digging around sure. looking for it. Yeah, because that's not a pleasant procedure, although it's doable. Um, the copper has a funny effect on the womb lining, though. It tends to make it thicker. So whereas hormone coils will make bleeds lighter and less painful, typically copper coils will make them heavier and longer. Not more painful, funny enough, just heavier and longer. So if you meet a girl who, for whatever reason, would prefer to avoid hormones, even mm-hmm. though we encourage them not to think of that as a, as a black and white issue, um, but whose periods are already significant, I'd be very slow to recommend a copper device because chances are they're going to get longer and heavier. And within okay. a few months, she's going to say, it's not working. take it out, take it out. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And again, so. that's why it's so important that you're coming to your healthcare professional with yeah. all the background yeah, details. Absolutely. And there are other funny little things like um, you can't have a copper coil if you have allergies to copper. Now, there's not that many people with allergies to copper, but there are some. Um, there is some concerns about when you're going for things like an MRI, <laughs> if you have yeah. metallic devices in your body, you know. Although I don't think the copper coil isn't going, it's deep enough in the womb that an MRI isn't going to do you harm. But it may change the position. The coil may move up or down, down more likely uh, when you have a MRI magnetic resonance imaging. So you got to be, you got to maybe get your coil checked after get an MRI. After that. Yeah, it's fun. Like you do have to be aware of the yeah. ins and outs of all of this stuff. I mean, look, we're all going to live yeah. various lives through it. No coils set off the alarm in the airport, by the way. I was literally <laughs> about to ask that. I was thinking. Because we go through those machines far more than we do MRIs. Yeah, no. So you're nobody in TSA. I mean, that's an interesting conversation to Airport have. security isn't going to pull you to the side <laughs> because you're wearing a coil. You're, you're perfectly safe. Nor will it identify the bar. The bar. Yeah, so you're all... All right, um, from that point of view. But yeah, you know, these are things that people do worry about and, and think about sometimes, yeah. And then, of course, there are, I suppose, the, you know, the full stop forms. Yeah, so being sterilized is, is considered the ultimate. So for women, nowadays, we do tubal ligation. And in the old days, a tubal ligation, your fallopian tubes, mm. literally was an open procedure. They made a big hole in your belly, like you were having a cesarean section wow. or a hysterectomy. They lifted out your tubes. Sometimes they would tie them off, but more likely they would cut a chunk of them out and tie either end. But it was a very effective procedure because you you opened the belly, you looked at the tubes, you cut them in pieces, and you sewed them back up. But very invasive. Very invasive. We don't do that typically anymore. Now we do it with keyhole surgery, Good. you know, camera <laughs> surgery. Yeah, and they don't usually resect the tube. They frequently just use this thing called a filchy clip. It's like a paper clip, mm-hmm. pl- big plastic paper. It's more like a clamp. Go to those lengths. 
she's absolutely decided that she does not want another child. Yeah, it's often a case where they've been told you're medically unwell, you're not to get pregnant. And with all of this, we need to remember that it takes two to make a baby. Okay, good point. So another form of sterilization is where the male counterpart decides to... Time they stepped up. If you Man up, if that's the right word. Um, It had been, it has been popular over the years Mm. with, usually with monogamous couples that have finished their family the woman has done the lion's share of contraceptive yeah. and menstrual and whatever. And Making so the birthing, yeah, and feeding. It's, it's kind of a nice gesture, I think, if, mm-hmm. if it's something that um, your your partner, your male partner would be open to. But a um, couple of things. First of all, it's very easy for, say, someone like me who'd had three children who decided her family was finished to say, to say, I don't want to have another pregnancy. Even if, God forbid, something happened to my partner or a relationship broke down, yes. and I'm not having another pregnancy. You, in your life, you're not having another pregnancy. I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 40-something years old, and that's the end of that. Whereas with men who've experienced partner loss or marital breakdown, it's not uncommon for them to really have a second thoughts about the vasectomy procedure they might have had in that other marriage or relationships. So it is a little bit of a harder decision maybe mm-hmm. for some men, not a, not all, I'm just putting it out there. It's also potentially open to pitfalls, so not everybody gets full protection. You'd think being sterilized was the ultimate form of contraception. Yeah. It is not. Those little vasectomy, um, proce- the mm. vasectomy procedures are also now done through very small incisions, um, although the vas tube is pretty easy to identify. It's it's a distinctive looking little tube when you lift it out of the testicle and they do resect it. They take a chunk of it Nobody's away. Nobody's going to want it after hearing the lifting it out of the testicle. Well, we raise it up slightly. It's actually a very <laughs> minor procedure. You know, a woman getting her tubes done has to go under a general anesthetic. She has to have the whole, uh, you know, the muscle paralysis so that she can make a nick in the womb, blow the, blow, blow the, sorry, into the belly, blow the belly up with some air so you can see what you're doing. It's a job, whereas mm. you can do a vasectomy in the GP's office in half an hour, so with him wide awake. So it's not for the faint of heart, that's for darn sure. There are clinics that will do vasectomies for men uh, under general anesthetic. In fact, sometimes you have to if the man is just very overweight and it's hard to find the vas tube. If he's had a trauma to the testicles, there's scar tissue in there, you wouldn't be able to even be able to do the procedure necessarily but most men can have it done in the gp surgery um is it reversible yeah in theory it's reversible so now that would be a general anesthetic job you'd have to go and you'd go to a specialty center for that the typical specialist gp or surgery doctor surgical doctor surgeon that would do a vasectomy wouldn't always do the reversal you'd have to go to a specialty place the interesting thing about a vasectomy surgery is while it is theoretically technically possible to reverse it a specialized surgeon can make a large and larger incision in the testicle while the man is asleep find the two remaining ends of the tube and try to bring them back together once the surgery is performed the body does never stop making sperm you make sperm till you die for the most part men do um but what happens is the immune system identifies that these sperms are no longer have any purpose and antibodies form break them down break them down so being fertile having effective sperm after a vasectomy isn't always the case and sometimes to be honest if you want another pregnancy the smart thing is to go directly into the testicle ICSI, they call it. They take immature sperm out of the testicle, 
mature them in in a place, you know, in a mm-hmm. lab in a IVF clinic, and then uh, go through an IVF procedure is a much more reliable way of fathering mm-hmm. a baby after a vasectomy than just asking for your tubes to be knitted back together. Although that is a it is theoretically possible it to is do possible. that. Mm. I certainly, if someone was going into a vasectomy or a tubal ligation with the plan of, well, if I change my mind, mm-hmm. that's a disaster. That is a real guarantee for being unhappy. Find a different method. Get something else. And especially since one of the intrauterine devices or the bar gives higher efficacy, higher protection against pregnancy with full reversibility. Every form of contraception, by the way, reversible, except for being sterilized, obviously, and the injection. The injection, like I mentioned, the 12-week progestogen hormone injection causes such a profound shutdown in the hypothalamus gland, the pituitary gland, the ovarian gland. Uh, Don't add that. um, It takes a good six months or a year to kick that off. So that's the only form of contraception that can if cause you to have a delay in the return to your fertility. But everything else, the patches, the intravaginal ring, the pills, the mini pill, the intrauterine devices, all of that stuff, um, um, the bar, a hundred, almost immediate return to fertility. If you don't have a medical card, everything is expensive in healthcare. It costs you 50 or 60 euros just to talk to somebody, you know, to get information. And even if they, they'll undertake your question or your problem, but they don't, they wouldn't necessarily be able to fix it, but mm-hmm. it still costs you money to talk about it, you know? And then if you opt to go for a procedure of some kind, like, so if you decide to go on the pill, there's a chat, they should measure your blood pressure, they should record your BMI, that's really important, and then they prescribe, and then you go to the pharmacy, you buy some pills. So it doesn't feel that expensive, but if you look at it cumulatively over a year, two years, it actually is a lot of money. With the long-acting reversibles, the talk costs money, the insertion procedure costs money, the device itself, is, although covered by the drugs payment scheme, is going to cost you money if you don't have a medical card. So the initial outlay for a Lark product can seem substantial, but if you add, if you average out what you've ex, your expenditure has been over the five years or the ten years of the life of the product, there are some pl- clinics we we run a few in the maternity hospitals that now you still have to talk to a GP and get a referral letter. You can't sure. just roll in, but um, you can be referred for um, to have your intrauterine device inserted inserted for free. So there's no insertion fee, but you still have to bring us the product, whether that be a little copper coil or a little hormone bearing coil. So, you know, there's costs involved in all this stuff. And, and in an ideal world, just like with STI screening, contraception would be free and incentivized. And what about needing to take a break from the pill? That's a really good question, okay? Um, no, do not take breaks from the pill. Not only is it not healthy in any way, but we know that long breaks from the pill will allow the fertility to waken up much quicker than you think, and so interval pregnancies, unexpected pregnancies can occur. But probably the most important of all, arguably, is the fact that when a woman starts the pill, the risk of her getting a serious medical problem like a blood clot in her vein surges. So the risk of blood clots is at its highest when you start the pill. After a couple of months and your body gets used to it, assuming you don't have any kind of lifestyle or genetic predisposition that makes blood clots high, high likely for you, your risk of getting a blood clot when you've been on the pill for, say, a year, two years, five years, 10 years is really low. 
So it's not a cumulative thing. It's not like, oh my God, I've been on the pill for 10 years. Maybe I should come off because something bad is inevitably going to happen. Quite the opposite. The longer you're on it, the more your body's used to it, the healthier you are. If you take an unnecessary break, like say some well-meaning doctor tells you, you've been on the pill for five years. Maybe you should take a... When you go back on the pill, the risk of serious blood clot climbs again. So you're actually in so more repeating danger. the problem. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's not. Now, listen, if you're not in a relationship, if you don't want the pill, of course, come off the pill. What about the uh, common myth in terms of contraception and weight gain? Do you know, market research would suggest that one of the main reasons why women who've used any artificial hormone contraceptive no longer use it is because it changed their weight, obviously, for the bad, you know, increases. Mm-hmm. Um, so huge monies have been spent in researching, is there a causative connection? Does, does there something in contraceptive hormone that makes certain women get bigger, get heavier, um, or is it a coincidence or whatever? And in almost every study ever conducted, the amount of weight gain with contraceptive use is the same as placebo. So if you take a 1,000 women and you give 500 of them the pill and 500 of them an identical tablet that has no hormone in it, you'll get the same weight gain in, in both groups, which is really depressing. I know. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I want to blame it. Because there's just nothing you can do about it, you know. Women, you know, women Our are... Our bodies fluctuate. Yeah. They uh, just uh, do. We're meant to be curvy and hormone replete and fat is beneficial up to a point when it comes to fertility you know underweight women struggle sometimes and even though fashion would dictate that we should all be a certain size biologically that doesn't always be your best option for you you know so um i understand a fear of unnecessary weight gain Mm -hmm. having said that there are some brands of pills and some women that just do not belong together (laughs) okay there are some brands of pills that can cause a lot of fluid retention and even though the scales may not be climbing, 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 you she feel feels bigger. huge. Yeah. Mm. And if you feel big and bloaty and uncomfortable in your body, you're going to be miserable. But usually those can be f- fixed by altering the components of the contraceptive pill or the patch of the ring. Mood is another big one. There was a huge study published out of Denmark a few years ago. It was an observational study where they looked at of all the women that we prescribed contraception to, all the different types, mm-hmm. how many were we also putting on antidepressants? Mm. And there seemed to be a real connection with certain types of contraception and antidepressant use. And impact of mood. Yeah, but again, there's no proof that the one made the other happen. So weight, mood, a lot of things change in your, you know, the life of a woman, young or old, and the the coincidental use of hormones around that time may contribute. I mean, there are definitely general principles. Estrogen, as a rule, is mood elevating. Mm-hmm. Progestogens, certain progestogens more than others, can be mood lowering. PMS. PMS, absolutely. Yeah. So, And even around ovulation, apparently you do feel a little bit more glowy. Yeah. Probably as well. There's you a feel huge, a little bit more attractive. There's a huge estrogen in surge mid-cycle mm-hmm. and luteinizing hormone surge mid-cycle. So when you are fertile, you you kick off fertility you feel hormone. Good. Yeah, without question. I think we couldn't cover today's episode if we did not talk about emergency contraception and the role that it is playing in the yeah. lives of women. So prior to I can't remember, was it two thousand and seven or two thousand and 
2009, I think it was, um, one form of emergency contraception became available over the counter directly from the pharmacist or behind the counter, whatever they call it. And then shortly thereafter, the other form. So we have two different chemical forms of emergency contraception in Ireland, neither of which you have to see a doctor for. You go directly to the pharmacist. And in theory, you're supposed to be asked a series of questions to identify, you know, whether you're eligible for those products, because some women, they wouldn't be recommended for them, and whether or not it's appropriate for you to take this one or that one, mm -hmm. depending on what the mistake was, what the exposure was. We've now discovered, or we're being told by the scientific bodies, that neither form of emergency contraception that you can buy in a tablet form from the pharmacist will work at all if you've already ovulated. So they're ineffective after mid-cycle. So if you have a 28 to 30 day cycle yeah, and you've regularly and happily used condoms and then here you are day 14, 15, 16 and a condom slips off or bursts and you go to the pharmacy. But within that window, you've already ovulated. You've already ovulated and you should be told, I'm afraid you've likely over, ov ovulated already going by your dates and that ideally you should speak to your doctor okay. about getting it. A copper copper intrauterine devices are amazingly effective in that in, in that, that window, timeline. and they do work after ovulation. In fact, you can take them right up until the day that the fertilized because, egg, as you said, it stops the implantation. So even though it's fertilized, yeah. it stops the implanting. Yeah, implanting. So implantation, as they call it, is blocked by the copper device, whereas you cannot block implantation with the oral pills. Find the right emergency contraceptive, depending on your personal situation, yes. and then maybe get an opportunity to talk about ongoing contraception so you don't end up in this situation again next week or the week after. Absolutely. The Almost like with termination of pregnancy, like I, it just burns me that we have a, a really good service better than we any many other countries in provision of medical and surgical termination in the first trimester, but no provision of contraception. Like it, there is a, a visit built in to the early medical abortion practice uh, for GPs for the ladies to come back to discuss contraception. Mm -hmm. But for the vast majority of women, they don't want to see us again. They just want it to be it's such over. A, a traumatic experience yeah. that whilst there if there is something that can send her home safe in the knowledge that she is now protected mm -hmm. would that not be better of course it would be better so every form of contraception except for one of those intrauterine products mm -hmm. can actually be given and started on the day you take the tablets for the termination of pregnancy so if the doctor who's providing the medical termination has the foresight to do so and, and you are interested in doing so, you can start your hormone contraception on that day. On that day and, it, and it doesn't interfere with the way the medicines work. The The one we do have to wait, though, is to put a coil in because obviously you want the contents of the womb to be of course. cleaned out. Now, if you're going for a surgical termination and you bring an intrauterine device with you, then nine times out of ten, the surgeon who's performing the procedure will very happily install the intrauterine device while you're there when you're finished yeah so you'll wake up from your anesthesia not only with your pregnancy you know um terminated but also with a future contraception on board which would be so nice but that's something you need to think about before you know and your head is like mush when you're of in a course. crisis pregnancy situation if we don't as healthcare providers tick the boxes yes. and say now we're gonna do this we're gonna do this now while i have you here prompt yeah, yeah. what do you think about next week and the week after and the month after 
could I offer you some sort of ongoing reliable contraception? Or, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? A lot of girls say, well, I'm never having sex again. So that it won't be an issue. But of course, that's the space their head is on that day. And that doesn't last necessarily. So it's a little know. like asking a woman who's just given birth. Yeah. And that's another important point. A lot of women don't avail of contraception immediately after giving birth, but they should. Follicles start to wake up about 20 days after the baby is born. And if you have unprotected sex, you could find yourself back in the hospital with the Irish twins situation of two babies under one. We have an entire episode dedicated to that <laughs> with Dr. Emical Gareth, which is episode four, specifically on postpartum Excellent. options. Oh my goodness, Dr. Deirdre Lundy, I could actually talk to you on this topic and several others that I haven't even explored with you yet. Well, for I'll, I'll be here. I'll come back. Hours. I, I, I cannot thank you enough for that. You have managed to describe all of those things in such a real and relatable way to hopefully a generation of women who, to this point, haven't had access to this information. It's true. You wouldn't see this in a biology textbook. That's Certainly for sure. not. Yeah. And there's a little part of me that's a little bit angry that when I was 14, 15, that I was too busy learning about osmosis and photosynthesis and not enough about yeah. my own body. I know. There's a, there's a niche in that market, definitely. <laughs> so I have to say, if there's anything that we haven't covered today that um, our listeners are really interested in, I'd really encourage them to contact us at Every Mum so that, you know, this doesn't have to be the end. If there's anything more that we can cover, please let us know. And Deirdre, you're an incredible human. Uh, you're very sweet. I enjoyed <laughs> it. I enjoy talking about this stuff. It's clear that you absolutely love and have a passion for what you do. And thank you for bringing that to us and to all of your patients because you are undoubtedly making their lives better as a result. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today on this podcast and um, I wish you all the best. If you missed episode one with Dr. Deirdre Lundy, it's available now with everything you need to know about your body, your fertility and your contraception. Up next, we have a special episode designed to support every postpartum mum navigate returning to sex, caring for her hormones, the six-week checkup and what contraceptive options can best care for her. Thank you for listening. We really hope that this show has supported you in finding out more about your body and how best to select the right contraception. You can find all the information relating to this episode by following the link to everymom.ie in the show notes. If you think others can benefit from this series, please rate, leave a review or share with us on social tagging everymom or using hashtag mycontraception. For more expert information and support, mycontraception.ie is always available to you. This show has been created by Everymum, supported by Bayer. If you want to report a side effect or quality complaint for any contraception, please contact your healthcare professional or report them to the Health Products Regulatory Authority via the Bayer.ie website. 